Welcome to The Art Career, a space breaking barriers by letting you sit in on candid, straightforward conversations with leading art professionals in visual arts, writing, music, theater, and film. I'm your host, Emily McElreath, and I invite you to join me for inspirational conversations with icons of our generation. We dive deep into topics like self-development, career trajectories, mental health, social justice, and the artists that have changed our lives. With each episode, our mission is to empower you, expanding your journey through the arts. Join us for new episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. The Art Career is thrilled to announce its partnership with Glimpse. Glimpse Guides are a collection of luxury guidebooks with an outstanding social mission we are proud to support. Featuring the best of hotels, restaurants, activities, and itineraries, For each featured city, Glimpse Guides also include recommendations and travel tips by a curated selection of tastemakers. The most exciting part of Glimpse Guides is 100% of their profits go to Give a Glimpse, which provides funding for educational travel scholarships for underserved students. What is better than that? Glimpse believe that travel is the most important form of education and it is their mission to send as many deserving students abroad as possible. Glimpse also offers luxury trip design services with VIP perks like early check-in, room upgrades, restaurant and spa credits, welcome gifts, and more. Glimpse has quickly become our one and only travel planner. Go check them out at glimpseguides.com. And tell founder Jordan Rhodes that the Art Career Podcast sent you. Brooklyn-based painter Jenna Gribbon's figurative canvases present tender, uncanny scenes of everyday life while challenging the art historical conventions of the gaze. Gribbon reckons with the patrilineage of her medium, upending the tropes such as the artist-muse relationship and the established approaches that she inherited. She reconceives the act of looking as a reciprocal one marked by empathy and mutual gratification. Utilizing the a la primo technique with a precise and animated hand, she offers unguarded glimpses into her life with her wife, the musician Mackenzie Scott, as well as her young son and circle of friends. She often depicts moments that push the limits of public and private, agency and consent, and exhibition and exploitation. Painting with an acute awareness of the viewer, Gribbon plays with the voyeuristic impulse while bringing visibility to expressions of love. Born in 1978 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Gribbon studied painting at the University of Georgia and received her MFA from Hunter College. In 2011, in Long Island City, Gribbon co-founded the Oracle Club, a literary salon and creative space. Gribbon's work has been presented in exhibitions at the Frick Museum, Museum of Modern Art Warsaw, Museum of Contemporary Art Jacksonville, 
Kunsthal Museum in Munich, Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth, Georgia Museum of Contemporary Art, and the Finnish Academy of Fine Arts, among many others. Her paintings reside in the collections of X Museum Beijing, Dallas Museum of Art, Rubel Family Collection Miami, Brandt Foundation New York, and Flag Art Foundation New York. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Emily. We're finally doing this. It's It's been a long time in the making. Well, I really appreciate you giving me this time. I'm seeing your space for the first time. We're in your studio post-honeymoon show opening install, so it's empty, which is kind of a cool feeling in here. Yes, I actually, a lot of artists hate an empty studio, but I actually really love it. I'm always so relieved when the paintings leave. Um, I'm sure. Um, I want to rewind before we talk about your current show, which we will. I've been following your work. I remember I was at a gas station on my way here this morning, and I went back on my Instagram to see when the first time I posted your work. And it was in 2017, 2018, and it was that amazing painting with the two women and the duck float. Oh, yes. Anyway, it was, <laughs> I, I just, I remember being like, who the hell is this artist, you know? And just being in love with your work ever since. So um, first of all, congratulations on everything you've done recently. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, okay, so I would say, I don't know, top, and I think I communicated this to you at one point, but top like three most poignant experiences that I've ever had with a work of art was walking into the Frick and seeing Mackenzie on the wall. As a queer woman, it was, you know, it, this is so corny, but I, I cried. You know, I, I stood there and I cried because, as you know, just thinking back to childhood and just not having any, right? There were queer depictions, but like of women like that? I mean, I'm sure your art historical knowledge is better than mine when it comes to this, but there sure as hell weren't any that I was seeing. No, uh, I wasn't seeing them either. <laughs> yeah. And so I just, you know, I, I'll never forget it. It was so powerful and I'm sure even more powerful for you to have that experience. It was honestly so um, overwhelming and surreal uh, to have that work in the Frick. I mean, I, I really love the Frick and it's such a special, special museum. And yeah, just incredible to have that painting there. And, and yeah, to be able to make a, a statement like that felt, I just felt so lucky to be able to have that opportunity. And I, I too loved seeing Mackenzie and all of her power in that position, uh, going head-to-head -head with Cromwell and... Uh, <laughs> and taking um, over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just... Uh, my favorite thing about that installation was the way that it... Her proximity to him made it look like look 
and she was like a, a little bit larger and so her expression and her posture was so powerful that he kind of looked like weak and small and intimidated by her which yeah i just i just really enjoyed and and i just um yeah i loved the way that she takes up space in that painting her the way that her legs are kind of you know splayed and and she's so unapologetic she's so barefaced um and yeah, we just don't have a lot of, I mean, like you said, we don't have queer representations of women in, in, in those museums and, you know, no. the, uh, the earlier history of painting, but even of women in general in and general. in a, in a, in a way, sitting in a way that's really trying to take up space and, and assert authority and as like a young kid up until now, um, I've always been trying to take up space and have been told that I take up too much space, always, always, you know? And so it's, it's um, you know, it's the queer representation and then it's also just the, like the power representation, right? And they're one and the same, but like you can also separate them a little bit. Um, and that Mackenzie being your muse and representing this element of just raw power taking up space and being unapologetic, you know, I think that is... Um, such a wonderful representation. I did a lot of research, as I do on everyone that I interview. So I've read all of your interviews you've done. I knew your work pretty well. And I just think it was important. You know, it is important. I don't know, you know, how many interviews you've done with another queer woman. I'm sure there have been a handful. But, like, this moment is important to me because I've only done a few. And I was reading one of your interviews that said it, it took me a while to understand myself and my sexuality. So what do you mean by that? And what was that experience like for you? And then I can share mine. Okay. Sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like you were saying, I didn't grow up seeing any representations of queer women that I identified with. You know, I was born in 1978 and... Yeah, I just the only the only lesbians we had, you know, in culture at that, at, you know, throughout my childhood and and adolescence was, you know, we had we had Rosie and we had Ellen and, and like Melissa Etheridge and Melissa. Eth I mean, actually, there was there was um, in the nineties musicians. There were there was a lot of queerness in music. Yes, there was, but that was sort of different because, you know at that time we're not it was it was pre smartphone so you're not seeing these people's images totally. yep. like you might hear these songs and not even actually know that mm -hmm. they're queer so you hear it on the radio or something and you're not like oh that's a queer woman unless you're reading you know music magazines right. or something right. and i don't even know how much it was discussed For but sure. yeah it wasn't like front and center like their queerness was not was not front and center no, in terms of the way sure. that they were portrayed and in the media. Yeah, so I think that obviously we live in a patriarchal society and we 
absorb the idea that in order to have any power as women, we we access that power through men. And and I kind of just, I think I just um, accepted that and went along with it for a while. And, you know, it was this thing of something always feeling a little bit off, always feeling a little bit outside of people in ways that I kind of couldn't put my finger on, you know. That reminds me of Mackenzie does this funny thing. Instead of, I can't put my finger on it, she's always like, I can't quite get my finger in it. It's like, <laughs> anyway, just had, to, just had to put that there. Yeah. Um, anyway, I couldn't quite get my finger in it. Yeah, it was, it was a really slow process that went from kind of just being in the dark and just like not understanding myself and, and really just being a person who operates from a place of responding to what the world wanted from me mm-hmm. and not really considering ah. what I wanted for myself. Mm-hmm. It was something I wasn't really taught to ask, you know. I think a lot of us as women aren't taught to think about what we want. We're we're what do you taught want? to we're yeah, we're taught to think mm-hmm. about what wants us. Um yeah. and I yeah, I just sort of I feel like I just got swept up in that current and followed it for a long time. And then you know, there were these sort of like pressing curiosities and then some experiences in, like it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I actually was like... Um, this is a thing. Well, that I was actually pursued by a woman. Ah. I think that's kind oh. of what it took for me to understand. Yeah, I get um, that. And, and then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Actually, this like is so feels so compelling and exciting yeah. and I feel alive in all of these ways. And, and then it's like, it's one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Oh yeah. So anyway, I, um, it was a long process of finding my way here in a place where I'm married to a woman, but I think it's so important to me to make the work that I do. And I, partly for this reason, I have so many young women coming up to me and telling me how important my work is to them. And I just am so happy that young women growing up today aren't as in the dark as we were, you know, because you really do have to see yourself somewhere to to be able to identify things in yourself. It's so hard to get there without any representation. And there still isn't enough representation. And actually... There's still, people still have a hard time, a lot of people have a hard time seeing the queerness in the work. Surprisingly, so many people assume that they're self-portraits, which I'm like, the mental gymnastics you have to do to reach that conclusion. Yeah. It's like, my body is literally in there (laughs) with, you know, there's, you know, you, you see my pubic hair you see yeah. you see everything and then you see it in relation to her body obviously we're not friends in the paintings i don't know i just but don't pe- i don't know where they're the, getting it is mental yeah. gymnastics yeah. that people do yeah that's wild and ridiculous yeah and funny and sad and yeah. all the things um yeah just what you were saying about young women it was kind of what I was going to close with, but I'm going to talk about it right now, the way that you are eliminating shame in young queer women 
is certainly not lost on me. I, you know, unlike you, at a very young age, took up a lot of space and was very angry and ridiculous and all the things. And I knew that I was queer. You know, I would say I was like journaling about it by seven years old. And it's complicated with me because I've always been with men and women. Um, I was with my first woman when I was 12 um, and, you know, have gone in and out of relationships with both, which is a whole nother conversation and is super complicated within our queer community. But my point is, being young, I owned it, but that didn't necessarily mean I didn't experience a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that shame is hard to shed, even, even as a 43-year-old woman who, you know, from the outside is very confident in her sexuality. It was the lack of representation. And like you said, it doesn't matter how much you can own something. It's like, if, if you're not fucking looking at it, it's the otherness is not something that feels good. Because, you know, as, as young girls, what we want, you know, it's like mentorship and looking up and being in awe of all of these things. And, um, yeah, so I guess just like, thank you for that. A million thank yous because I am going to get like emotional because like that is, um, it's such a big deal and it's something that like I really understand and you're actively doing it and you're not doing it in like one painting, you know, Jenna Gribben doesn't make like, she has like this like one lesbian painting, you know, it's fucking, it's every, it's all of it, you know, and it's so in your face in the most beautiful way and powerful yet gentle way. And yeah, you're, I know you know this, but when do we not want to hear these things? You're just, you're doing so much good for our community and these like young girls. So thank you, Jenna. Oh, thank you so much. That's, you know, yeah, it is always really nice to hear things like that. Yes. And I am, I am not immune to the shame factor myself. I sometimes, you know, just like wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, <laughs> How have I, how have I made my work around this? It's I feel so exposed, oh, you know. Awesome. I mean, I yeah. I literally am exposed, and I definitely have moments where I'm like, I wish I could just be more invisible, or yeah. you know, I'm actually not a person. I'm I'm not really an exhibitionist. No, and I'm not, and I'm actually a pretty private person. Yeah. So it's just kind of funny that I found myself here, but I just felt compelled to make these paintings and it felt so important and it still feels so important. Mm -hmm. So I keep making them, but it's, it's not always, or it, it's not at all comfortable for me. And, you know, in my show that's up now, the largest painting is the yeah. one that's the most kind of, um, uh, sexual, I guess. It's the one where we're the most physically entwined. Yeah. A lot of the paintings are, you know, she's clothed, she's, you know, going around having these kind of travel experiences. Mm -hmm. um, but that painting is 
you know, she's, she's, you're meeting her very intense gaze and I'm in the foreground naked and she sort of just has one finger resting on my pubic hair, which I was interested in that as a gesture, the ambiguity of Mm -hmm. it. You're like, what is this? Yeah, Yeah. what's happening? Um, Anyway, but I, I intentionally made that the largest piece because again, it's like, trying to in some small way or in some large way (laughs) make up for the invisibility of of those kinds of physical relationships yeah so I think the shame thing I don't know if we can ever completely resolve that but I agree that the the more we see around us the more we're able to the more we're able to accept these things in ourselves in ourselves and i think uh the younger the better so for sure the fact that these young women are seeing this work you know as young adults or adolescents or whatever is it it's got to be good for combating the the yeah, shame factor i would have been like running around the streets naked having sex with women I would have also I saw those as a kid like it's all I needed you know it was like that edge of you know oh okay like this is and and I feel like you know I don't know the word responsibility is a shitty word but you know I think when we have any sort of platform Mm -hmm. in life we kind of have a responsibility this is a tricky topic Mm -hmm. but to I don't know like give our younger selves what we needed, you know, whatever that might be. I definitely feel like I am making the paintings that, that my younger self needed to see. Yeah. And like you said, they, it is uncomfortable sometimes. You're not hanging this enormous piece. Um, You, you can be confident and still a little uncomfortable, I mm-hmm. think, in life. You know, that vulnerability is, there's like power in that too. And I think that's an important um, thing that you just said that I don't know if I've heard you say, you know, like it's still, it's, it is sometimes uncomfortable. You know, you do wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and be like, what the, f- that's very, that is actually <laughs> very funny. What the fuck have I done? Um <laughs> And I know that feeling in in my own way, you know, it just like some of the, you know, relationships I've been in or decisions I've made just kind of like, you know, I reached a point in my life when I was with a woman for two years trying to have a baby, you know, and I'm like in IVF mm-hmm. clinics, like, whoa, like you really went there, Em, yeah. you know, like we're here uh-huh. um, because... You know, I think we see a lot of experimentation um, when we're younger in our community. And then you reach a point where you're like in it, you know? Right. And um, well, but yeah, just in general, I'm, I'm a person who always loved making paintings because you can kind of be a little bit invisible. Yeah. And uh, like, I don't even really love going to my own openings or like feeling like, you don't like I'm in the spotlight, you know, like I, I really love just being like, like the guy behind the curtain, you know, just like Oz making the, 
making the magic happen, but being being so that invisible. doesn't fill you to be in those I mean, moments. I it, it there are certainly moments that are really gratifying when I speak to people who really love the work, but it's also so overwhelming for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And that and that feeling also exists just in putting this kind of work out there. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of why I'm uh, like like it already exists. Yes, but I it, I just yeah, I feel so much more yeah, exposed than I ever thought I would be. I never thought I would make the kind of work that made me feel so vulnerable and exposed and I but I I'm I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing. It does feel important to me, but it's it's a surprise. <laughs> it's yeah. a surprise to me that that, that this is uh, where I've ended up. And it's so amazing. We're in our 40s. I uh-huh. think you're right around my age. 78, you said? Yeah. I'm 80. Um, I'm, I'm 45 next month. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. I'm like... I can't believe it. Me neither. And I'm sure <laughs> everyone feels the same way, but especially since for myself, I haven't followed... Um, you know, the status quo. I'm just on such a different path that I forget that I'm actually getting older because so many people in my life are, you know, living the very heteronormative, you know, straight, married kids that, I don't know, I feel like this like witch living (laughs) in the woods alone right now. And like all of a sudden at this birthday, I was like, oh my God, I'm 43. Like that's <laughs> substantial, uh-huh. you know? And I don't know about you, but I've said this in a few interviews. I was such a wreck. I don't think you were. I was such a wreck growing up in my 20s and my 30s that I love aging. Like I really do. Every year I become more stable. Every year I understand myself a little better. Every year the the shame sheds a little more about a million things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder, yeah, what's the experience for you? It's fucking hard as a woman aging, you know, regardless of who you are. And um, it's something I think you would agree we have to like fight every day, not fight aging, fight what we're supposed to, what the media is putting on us. For sure. I mean, I I'm with you. I like aging also and I I my 40s are by far my favorite decade so far. Only, you know, just getting to the midpoint now, but one bonus of being a queer woman, I think, is it's there like aging feels a lot sexier. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, queer women, no, it's like hot. Yeah. Queer women see the hotness in older women totally. in a way that not a lot of men do. So that's that's a bonus. <laughs> it's. I mean, I definitely feel like I have not become less hot to my partner as I'm getting older. If anything, she finds it more hot. So. Yeah, it was something that I really had to. I'm with a man right now. My partner is a man. And right before it, I was for 10 years before him, I was I was in a relationship with two different women. And just like you, I remember being like, aging, what? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I feel so beautiful every year that passes. And it's 
not to say that my partner doesn't make me feel beautiful because he does very much, but it's just, it's, it's, it's just so different. Yeah. Right. Um, because you're trained to orient yourself yeah. in this way that like you sort of, you've absorbed so much cultural information about yeah. what men want for and, sure and how men want to see you. And it's really hard to, yeah, to fight against that in yourself. Yeah. And, um, The Art Career is thrilled to announce its sponsorship from the New York Studio School for Season 4. Founded in 1964 as an intensive studio arts program with an emphasis on perception, artists learning from artists, and drawing as the most direct means of describing one's ideas or experiences, the Studio School offers an array of full-time and part-time programs that prioritize small classes and individual guidance from dedicated instructors distinguished in their fields. It is located in the heart of Greenwich Village in a national historic landmark building that was once home to the original Whitney Museum of American Art. The school invites you to join its free public programming, including the evening lecture series, which for more than half a century has been a cornerstone of the New York City art world and can now be experienced worldwide via live streaming. Visit nyss.org to enroll in classes, see what's on in the gallery, register for evening classes, and more. To learn more about full-time study at New York Studio School, schedule an in-person tour or a virtual meeting by emailing info at newyorkstudioschool.org. Let's talk about your show for a second. I read Alison Gingeris is just amazing. And she really is. She really is. Um, and and the essay she wrote is so beautiful. And what I wanted to read was the last paragraph about Dickinson and the heart wants what the heart mm -hmm. wants. And I had to read it like three or four times to actually classic Gingeris to be like, okay, like I have wrapped my brain around what she's saying exactly. It's such a beautiful essay. I just feel like... It's so beautiful. And it's it's so much too. Yeah. Like she doesn't even get to you until... Yeah. Right? Like three quarters of yeah. the way through it. Mm -hmm. And she does such a wonderful job. And then she knocks it out of the park. And of course. <laughs> like she knocks it out of the park. Okay. No matter what mode of representation Gribben chooses to portray her subject, it could be said that her work fully embodies Emily Dickinson's famous line, the heart wants what it wants. There is much debate about the original intent behind these words addressed to Mary Bowles in a letter from, nine, from 1862. Excuse me. Bowles was one of Several intimate friends that scholars suspect may have been Dickinson's lover or at the least her romantic crush, which is like so funny, but you know, um, it feels appropriate to reclaim this phrase and apply it to a queer female artist whose practice is rooted in representation of her muse, not only because of the conjecture about Dickinson's lesbianism, the heart wants what it wants, or the art 
wants, uncontrollable or inappropriate desires. Monster male artists, monster in quotes, like Picasso or Woody Allen, could crib from the great poet to justify exploitative relationships, dubious relation representations, and other types of the implication in Dickens's prose that love and desire lack logic. Gribbons of revolts against this paradigm and restores a more complex ethic that is actually embedded in Dickinson's words. What a compliment. Her paintings demonstrate how a muse can also be full-fledged subject as opposed to a one-dimensional object of desire, and that looking as well as depicting can be an ethical, equitable exchange, and that desire or love can be conjured reciprocally without recourse or objectification, an ethos similar articulated in Paul's self-portrait. Gribbon's heart and art wants her wife, Scott, while it also wants equity, shared vision, and compassion. The heart wants what it wants, or else it does not care. It's just so fucking good. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a really beautiful essay. I'm, I feel so lucky to have her just um, concerned with my work at all. It's, it, she's, she's really special. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. I think I that's, think that says is. it all. Like it's a banger, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like it's done. Yeah, um, but so I think. I, well, I think she's getting at something that's really important to me in terms of the show that's up now, and and actually all of my recent shows, where I'm not just trying to paint Mackenzie as my muse exactly. It's I'm painting about subjecthood and about her experience being the subject I'm trying to like show what it feels like to be depicted or to be in a painting or or the subject of of something like that vulnerability yeah okay which is why there have been so many times where you know it's like I'll shine a light directly in her face so she's like blocking the light or squinting or or whatever or put her in these kind of uncomfortable situations where you're kind of feeling like the discomfort of being the subject. And I'm painting about that from the position of, of you know, I, I am a woman, so I sort of inherently know what it, like, For what, sure. it, what it feels like to be regarded, to be seen or to be objectified or whatever. So I'm painting about her. I'm painting about our relationship, but I'm also painting about the experience of what it is to be the subject. Hopefully the the empathy that's you know the empathy is is the the most important ingredient i think for you for me that that it, it's that's what helps hopefully the the viewer to understand her position and maybe consider subjecthood in a different way in a way that you haven't before and using someone that i'm so close to just adds this element of intimacy so you're you know obviously I'm so close to her so my empathy for her is even stronger than maybe it would be with a different subject and I'm seeing her from up close and I have this uh, such a range of possibilities of ways that I can depict her from up close to far away and Mm -hmm. seeing her the way I see her seeing her the way other people see her because she's someone who is a public figure Mm -hmm. she's a performer so 
you know, we have Mackenzie as intimate partner, we have Mackenzie as performer, and and then she becomes maybe a performer of intimacy in this show. I think this show particularly tries to kind of gray those lines a little bit. Um, For sure. So you don't know necessarily... It's like, is this an actual intimate moment or is Mackenzie performing intimacy? Who's, you know, who's doing what in this dynamic? And it comes down to like, we as the viewer ne- actually never do have Mackenzie, right? Because yeah. this juxtaposition of the power with the vulnerability, with the gentleness, with the everything, you know, it's, um, you know, I think I'm not, certainly not, comparing painting and social media at all, but they're representative, right? You're painting. It's not, it's Mackenzie, but we don't have Mackenzie, right? I mean, would you agree with that? Right. For sure. I mean, we never really, I mean, that's also part of what I'm interested in is, is this attempt to actually see another person and you never fully see another person. It's such a, a process and it's always just when you think you're seeing them they they morph yeah and I and I think Mackenzie she has this really great face that's kind of it's so expressive first of all and then also it really looks different in different circumstances or with different facial expressions and different lighting it's like a very um mutable face in a way and I I think that that's it's so it works so well in trying to show that experience of trying to see someone from from you know yeah the close range of an intimate relationship and how you're always kind of chasing that understanding but i, I actually think if you think that you fully see someone then you're in trouble it's time to move on yeah or it's just you're you ha- you're filling in the blanks with your own mind because every day we wake up and we're a slightly different person a slightly different version of ourselves than we were the day before so I think I will never be able to make enough paintings of her to to show the full picture obviously I would have to there would have to be intimate paintings I mean infinite paintings of every and nor do you want to right I mean the mystery of it all exactly like if you think you fully understand someone something's going on that's not organically happening Mm -hmm. um and that's just such a uh wonderful and even sometimes scary concept Mm -hmm. you know how we think in these whether you know you're in an open relationship or a monogamous relationship you're spending the majority of your time with one person and you're having sex with that person and you're best friends with that person and you're eating with that person and you know you're you're all the things it it's it's so refreshingly poetic and frightening that you really don't know that mm-hmm. person you yeah. know and i think that that can be a really good thing and a really bad thing sometimes. Um, I guess that's where trust comes down, you know? For sure. And I, yeah, I don't, I find it, I mean, yes, I can understand the feeling, the sort of loneliness of, of remembering that we're all kind of trapped in our own experience. And, but it's also, it's amazing to, yeah, I, I guess for the paint in, in the paintings, I, I'm, 
I'm kind of showing what it is to chase that knowledge, yeah. even if you're never really going to get there. And and getting to an end point is never as satisfying Sucks as you anyway. think it's going to be. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> the chase is, is the fun part. And yeah. We hear that as kids. We're yeah. Like, yeah, right. It's yeah. so fucking true. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, I love I love this practice of of chasing chasing the seeing of her, chasing the seeing of another person, and fully knowing that I'll never ar arrive there. And I'm I'm bringing you along for the for the chase. I know we, we're we will never arrive. We will at, never at arrive. fully seeing Mackenzie. We we will never fully see her, but I can I can show the experience of what it is to to chase the seeing. Yeah. Will you always paint Mackenzie? I don't know. I mean, That's such a probably. No, it's it's a good question I mean, actually. So my whole thing with painting her, like continuing to paint her, having that being an ongoing yeah. project, is that I I think it, again going back to the empathy idea. The more paintings you see of her, the more you feel like you know her. Yeah, for sure. And the more and when you know someone, you can. Um, you have a better chance of of feeling empathy for them. So mm. ideally the viewer starts to be like, oh yeah, there she is again. What's she doing now? You know, or like you she starts to feel you uh you start to feel like like yeah, like you like yeah. you know her and you can can empathize with whatever situation she's in. Maybe you you feel for her, you're like, ah, oh, she looks uncomfortable. Maybe like I wish someone would give her a pillow or something or some sunglasses or yeah. I don't know but it also adds to you know the dialogue around queerness and you know educating the public right mm -hmm. like the more we see it mm -hmm. the more comfortable we're mm -hmm. going to be with it that kind of brings me this is the first um so Scopophilia, mm -hmm. or you spoke about that, or did I read that? Did someone, can I read the definition of it? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there are different there are. Well, definitions. Yes, um, there are. Yes. And so some of them are super lame. Yeah, some of them are very centered around sex. And I yeah. am, am not looking at scopophilia in that regard. I'm just in the very simple definition right. of the love of looking. Um, and I like that. I'm glad I brought this up yeah. because I like that. I, I listened to your talk with Marilyn Minter, mm -hmm. who was the first guest on our podcast. I love Marilyn. And she's the best. And you were saying that, you know, and then I, I read something about scopophilia a couple nights ago and I was reading all of these different, you know, like Freudian fucking definitions and all the things. I did like a deep dive. But at the end of the day, I don't think it needs to be pushed to be so sexual. Right. It's the... Right? And like even... I feel like fetish inherently is a sexual thing, but it doesn't need to be sexualized all the time. Yes. Yeah, you could have a fetish for like wearing feather earrings or something. Yeah, and I have like, like a shark fetish. Yeah, I'm not, exactly. I'm not like it's not a coming to yes, sharks. Right. So I think that that's, you know, and, and also so important within your work because, you know, I'm sure that you're like... 
no, I'm not painting this to turn you on no, right now. And not at all. <laughs> it's interesting because even I think back to being, you know, a kid and seeing nude representations, photographs, you know, if I like dug deep, um, painting my own, my own paintings of naked women, just where I could find it, seeing those things. It was never a sexual experience. Mm-hmm. It was always you know, the, the pleasure of looking and the curiosity of looking. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just think that's kind of an interesting concept. I think fetish becomes so sexualized Mm -hmm. by the patriarchy, right? And it's not, it's not. Yeah. It can be. It's more, for me, yeah, I, if I use that word, I'm, I'm just referring to the pleasure, taking pleasure in, in, looking um and and there's yeah it is it is political to take pleasure as a woman looking at another woman's body and it it gets really tricky and some people get really upset because in doing that I'm also you know creating this pleasurable experience for some men and that's not necessarily my objective, but I also don't think you can or should try to control how your art affects every single person. I make the work for the audience I have in mind, and I hope that they get pleasure from it. I'm not upset if, I mean, I think that I'm happy for everyone to have pleasure in life, and I'm putting this work out there. I'm relinquishing my control of it, and it's up to people to have their own experience. I, a lot of what I try to do is just make people really aware of the experience that they're having. Yes. And, um, and to, to underline the fact that it's, it's not a benign thing to consume an image of another person's naked body. And I, my intentions are mostly not sexual even the paintings where she's naked the intention is to show yeah the intimacy of the yeah, relationship she's trimming her toenails in the bathroom yep. without a shirt on to me that's just the f- a fact of the matter um representation of a human body experience like you and know, the intimacy that goes so much deeper than any sexual experience exactly yeah and occasionally the paintings are are sexual in the way that like occasionally life is sexual. Sure. Right. It frequently is, but it's only, it's only a part of things. And it's, it's certainly to me, it's not, it's not the main focus of my work, but I, I sometimes get frustrated that that, that aspect of the work really overshadows a lot of what's going on in the paintings and, and people, those paintings, tend to stick out to people for whatever reason. But like you just said, Jenna, it's like you get to a point in life in general where it's not your responsibility to control people's experiences, period, right? And it's like, I don't know, I think we challenge ourselves in a million different ways every Mm -hmm. day to remember these things, you know, like to let it be, to let it like just to let go and understand. And that's hard. It's hard, I'm sure, when you're in the public eye. And um, but yeah, that's um, yeah, I'm sure that's a challenge, actually. I'm sure that's a challenge that I'm sure gets easier and then harder and then like way easier. And it just ebbs and 
and flows. But like, thank God that you don't feel, because I think creating anything authentic, you, you have to let go of that control. You know, I think when we are trying to stay within that and make something, it's just, it's, it's a bust, Mm -hmm. you know? So the authenticity is, yeah, exactly what's being portrayed. Yeah, I hope so. And I, yeah, there's, again, there's nothing I can do about the people who see 10 paintings in a room and think that they're all sexual because one of the paintings has, you know, a sexual aspect to it. I can't actually help those people, <laughs> you know, balance that in experience. Yeah, I can't help those people. They're, they're beyond help. They're yeah. Little, yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, it it gets it's frustrating sometimes that I think a lot of the complexity gets overlooked, and yeah, a lot of a, a lot of the paintings get misunderstood. As someone extremely passionate about mental health, seeing a therapist is essential to my quality of life. We'd like to take this moment to announce how thrilled we are to partner with the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp. If you think you might be feeling anxious, depressed, or even just overwhelmed, being alone with your thoughts can be an isolating feeling. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. It's that easy. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. And just for the Art Career Podcast listeners, we will offer 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash T-A-C. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P, dot com slash T-A-C. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring the Art Career Podcast. So we've covered, um, I don't even know what we've covered, Jenna. <laughs> we've, we've covered a lot, but, you know, um, it's important for especially with with someone like you to talk about career trajectory and you know what that's looked like for you because it has been a bit different Mm -hmm. so you know in a nutshell like bring us through in two minutes tell us about the last 30 years of your life (laughs) no but just talk about that a little bit for sure I actually love talking about this because I just want people to know that there there are many paths that might lead to where you want to go and my my path has not been a straight one pun intended I guess but uh yeah so I I grew up in Tennessee in a place with you know no real knowledge of not just no real knowledge no knowledge at all of a contemporary art world right like did not know it existed did wasn't really exposed to museums as a kid not until I was you know a teenager or something did I go to my 
I was, yeah, in early adolescence, I went to my first art museum. So anyway, and then I went to the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia for undergrad. It was a wonderful experience, but there was this part of me that knew that I had to get to New York because this was a time when, you know, I graduated in 2001. Mm -hmm. So the internet was not used the same way at that time as it is now. It was still a time where you, you know, sent slides around or if you made a painting, yeah, if you made a painting, it could only really be seen Mm -hmm. physically in the place where you showed it. So you sort of have to go to the place where the most people will see the physical object. So I, yeah, I just knew that I had to come to New York at some point to try to get my painting seen. And so I moved here in 2003. Where did you move? Uh, to Williamsburg. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and I moved to this really shitty apartment on South third and Bedford, Mm -hmm. um, with my husband at the time, his sister, um, one of my best friends from high school and my best friend from college. And we all lived together in this apartment. It was probably nice. It's I'm sure for you, wasn't it overwhelming coming to New York? Oh, for sure. And I, you know, I had to save up so much money to even move here. I was like working multiple weird jobs, one, I was I was grading standardized tests from like the essay portion of standardized tests wow. that kids take, which was actually really pretty fascinating. And I was working for Progressive Farmer Magazine, calling farmers and uh, and like interviewing them, surveying them like about what they're growing so that they could receive their free farmer magazine, like all these weird things, like working all the time just to save enough money to move to New York and have a little bit of money um, to live for a couple months until I found a job. And so a few months after moving here, I got a job working in the Jeff Koons studio, painting and color mixing there. And how did you land that job? Did you know someone that worked there? No, I found an ad in the New York Times in the paper, the physical paper, like circled it with a pen. It sounds like I'm like 100 years old, but this is really what happened. So yeah, read the, read the classifieds, like look the help wanted section, looking for a job, <laughs> and landed at the Jeff Koons studio. Wow. Yeah, believe it or not. And then... Does he remember you? Yeah, he does actually. Not he's that al- that fucking matters. Yeah, but, but he's always been really, cool. really um, kind to me actually. Nice. I've always really liked Jeff. Um, so you land in Koons studio. Yeah, and I only worked there for a year because you have to work full time there and I wasn't getting any painting done. So I quit and I started doing commission portraits um, pretty soon after I I got hired by Sofia Coppola to do these paintings for Marie Antoinette. So I, I did the, the portraits in Marie Antoinette. So that was a funny little chapter. And then, yeah, I was making a living doing commission portraits and also making my other work at the same time. And I had some shows here and there. I had a, my first solo show was in Williamsburg at a gallery called Sarah Bowen Gallery, where actually Kathy Bradford had a show there and Karen Lyons had a show there. And um, Karen and I worked together at Jeff Koons and we were studio mates for a while. So um, yeah, so um, I just kind of, showed when I could. I had a show at Shoshana Wayne Gallery in Santa Monica. 
in I think 2007 oh, or something wow. okay. you know so I had some some uh some early opportunities to show my paintings and then it kind of just it just wasn't the time for my work and I had a really hard time um, even getting people to my studio. This is pre-Instagram, so how do you get people to your studio if they haven't seen what you make? Like, how do you even get them to be interested in this, you know, random yeah, girl from Tennessee? Totally. Who, like, I think um, coming from that part of the country, you're at somewhat of a disadvantage because you yeah. don't have this this network. I didn't go to an art school right. where I, you know, had an instant community of well, artists. what did you do? I mean, I just kept making my paintings and I, you know, I, I hung out in New York and I made a lot of friends and, you know, eventually you plant all these seeds and mm. something is bound to spring yeah, up somewhere. So but also, you know, at one point, you know, in, in 2010, I had a child. And Which is so crazy. I have not even thought to bring that up once, which is really odd for me because it is a topic but I feel like yeah it's something I'm very interested in but also like it's okay that I didn't bring it up and that you just brought it up you know Um, because it it um it does not define you as a person and it does define you as a person but there's that so you had a child in 2010. Yeah, and I, I love talking about that because I think um, it's really impor- important for people, again, representation coming up, to see serious professional artists who are mothers. Yes. And I think, you know, at that, I think things have gotten much better and it's become a real point of discussion in the art world. And I see a lot of people yeah. making work about being mothers and I'm so happy to see it. But at that time, I knew women who would hide their pregnancies because they, did, they felt like they weren't going to be taken seriously once they had a child or yeah. if anyone knew that they were pregnant. And I had people tell me that collectors wouldn't buy work from, uh, from women who, who had children because they didn't think that their careers were going to continue. I had people in galleries say like, or just assume that I wasn't painting anymore. They were like, oh, I would have called you about that, but I, I assumed that you're just- Because you're holding a baby Yeah, at the exactly, right. that, that you're not working right now or, or whatever, all of these assumptions. And, and you know, as usual, it's very different for, for men, men who have children. There's, there's you know, yeah. there's no pause. It, in their no, career like, That's cute. yeah or a man can bring a child his child oh, around to right. openings and people are like what a great dad that's so i i just love to see that whereas a woman bringing her child to go around to openings is a drag yeah or just kind of like oh she's not she's not serious she's you know she's seen as just a mom and it's i just think it's uh it's really important to talk about motherhood and being an artist and balancing those things and, and also to talk about how difficult it well, can be. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Lori, not to interrupt you, but yeah. when I talked to Lori Simmons about this, she's very similar yeah. to you. Like, yeah, we can do this yeah. and I fucking did it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it wasn't 
hard, you know? I think it's there's so many layers to this too. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have five children Mm -mm. at home, you know? But And that's not to say that you wouldn't be where you are if you did, but you probably wouldn't, Probably not. I mean, let's... I think that there's a... We have to be honest about it too, right? Yeah. I don't know. This topic is like... I go back. I, I it's all over. We the need place. a whole other podcast. Yeah, to talk about Yeah, because it's so. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't even. I don't. I don't know. I. Yeah. But you did it. I did it. I had a child, and that definitely. I I continued painting throughout my pregnancy. I stopped painting with solvents. I was just only using okay. walnut oil, cleaning my brushes with the oil, and did you not like using being any toxic pigments. I didn't like being pregnant, really. I, I felt like it was hard to lose my bodily autonomy. Yeah. I didn't feel, I didn't like the feeling of every choice I was making for my body was not just a choice for me, but for someone else too. So I was, I was grateful when that ended. But, but yeah, it did, it, it did feel like it really slowed down my career and not because I slowed down painting, but just I think perception of me and what I was capable of or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also it was the time. It was the kind of yeah. work that people were interested in in that moment. Um, it was not what I was making. And, and I think I ran into a lot of just people for, let's say, a decade kind of scratching their heads about why I was making these weird figurative paintings. And you didn't pivot. I didn't pivot. I just kept making my weird figurative paintings. And um, and then eventually, you know, it's funny because I do think that Instagram had a huge um, effect. Obviously, it's it sort of busted down the the gates. <laughs> yeah. Of of there were no longer there was no longer gatekeeping in Correct, this, in the right. same kind of way. Right. Like everyone had access to an audience and and so anyway so I think people were starting to look at my work already because yeah for example I saw your work yeah yeah Instagram for the first time yeah exactly and so that happened but at the same time I decided to go back to grad school um in my late 30s and Hunter is the only school I applied to because I didn't want to spend a lot of money. That's and, such a good school. And it's such a great school. And yeah, so I went, I, you know, it, all of these things kind of coincided. There were political shifts that affected my work. And then so suddenly there was a little bit of a small explosion of interest in my work that really surprised me because I felt like I had been working uh, in my basement in isolation for for so long without anyone caring what I was making. I mean, my friends always cared, yeah, but, 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 you know, there yeah. was no real audience for my work until suddenly there was. And so it's it's been a really interesting ride. And yeah, I was, I was almost 40 by the time it felt like anyone cared what I was making. And... Uh, this is yeah. so important yeah. to emphasize because like you're standing in these, you know, glamorous openings at 44 now and, you know, you're still the woman who was painting in the basement for 
what, a decade without anyone? Probably like 15 years. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. It wasn't always the basement. It, it, well, there was the moment it was the basement, but it, it was usually in my house even. in like, Right. You know. It was wherever you could paint, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and that's because it's so hard, especially with social media and, every, and just representations of people who are successful to understand the journey leading mm -hmm. up to that. And um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that because that is super important and I'm glad that we talked about briefly about you being a mom because that is such a big part of your journey and you did do it right like mm -hmm. that's um so cool um and something that women need to know you know there's no there listen you have a baby if you want to have a baby mm -hmm. right and that's what it comes down to, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's my body, my choice. It doesn't have to do with anything other than whether or not you wanna have a baby. And if you wanna have a baby, have the fucking baby and figure it out, you yeah. know? I mean, it, it. I would never try to say that it isn't uh, very challenging at times. And it's a huge job at, that is never ending I, I mean how old is he now he's 12 that's crazy he turns he turns 13 next month do you remember when i met you yes Allie and i were living next, next door this is, this is <laughs> I'll, I'll stop in a second <laughs> Allie and i were living next door mm -hmm. and we were like creepy old ladies looking out the window we're like is there another queer couple moving in next? You know, you yeah, imagine. Yeah. And we're sitting there and we're like watching, watching. And I didn't, I, I didn't see who you were. I didn't know who Mackenzie was at this point. And then I think I was smoking weeks later. I was smoking a cigarette on the stoop, and you walked up, and I, I remember I was like, "Is are you?" are you Jenna Gribben? I <laughs> yeah. Because I wasn't sure. Uh -huh. I remember like I apologized because you were with your son and I was smoking a cigarette and you were like, it's okay. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was just kind of a funny happenstance because um, I had been following your work and then there was like a month overlap. I think we came over and then we moved, yeah. you know, right yeah. when you were beginning your life there. It's kind of those like sliding door, mm -hmm. just cool. But yeah, I forgot yeah. to say that. That's yeah. when we met. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a cool moment. Yeah, it was <laughs> a cool moment. Um, all right. Well, listen, I think that, you know, w we can start wrapping up, even though I could sit here and talk to you for so long and I hope we have the chance to talk about all of this off mic sometime because again like it's really important um for these conversations to be you know clearly this conversation was more about queerness mm -hmm. than paint mm -hmm. you know but I think that's that's really important and you know Everyone knows how fucking unbelievably talented you are, you know? Like, Thank I mean, you. You, it, you've like flipped the script in ev with figurative painting, with representation, representations of queer women. You've just, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's revolutionary, you know? It's so 
important. And um, I totally sound like a big fangirl right now, but I don't care, you know, because I'm just so thankful for your work, for who you are as a woman, um, for your vulnerability that oftentimes is not comfortable and you're still giving it to us. So thank you, Jenna. Thank you, Emily. When is your show open until? Open until January 6th. Okay. Everyone should see it. It's, I used this word before, it's a banger. It's, un, it's unbelievable. How many pieces are in it? Um, is like, I think there's 19. Yeah, I was going to say like 15. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the space is so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, just the, everything. the space is incredible. I feel like it's, it, I can almost not believe that my paintings are I'm sure. hanging in such a beautiful it's gorgeous. gallery. And the studio is so beautiful. I love it that it's empty. <laughs> Can't wait to see what you paint in the future. And thank come, you. Come back and visit when there are I will. paintings in here. I will. Thanks so much, Jenna. Thanks, Emily. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Art Career. If you get value from this podcast, please consider helping me make more of these episodes by becoming an Art Career Premium member at theartcareer.supercast.com. That's theartcareer.supercast, S-U-P-E-R-C-A-S-T.com. And please don't forget to rate and review. Every rating counts. Thanks so much.